Welcome to The Speech Link. I'm your host, Sharp Oshart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Getting a child to say a good er sound is one thing, but getting them to use it consistently is another. Now, you know the EZR program for getting the er, but what about generalization? Well, what about the new R speech practice audios? Kids love to practice them and you quickly access them via QR codes. Go to speechdynamics.com to take advantage of the 40% off sale price. Do it now. Before we get started, I would like to mention some disclosures. Regarding financial disclosures, Dr. Zick receives an honorarium for this podcast from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive an honorarium for the speech link, and I am a presenter for speechtherapypd.com, and I receive royalties, and I also own Speech Dynamics. Neither of us have non-financial disclosures, so there you have it. Okay, welcome everybody to our live SpeechLink podcast, sponsored, of course, by SpeechTherapyPD.com. And welcome to Posture, the missing piece in speech production. You are more than welcome to participate. Just type your question or your comment into the chat, and when appropriate, one of us will read it, and our esteemed guest will respond. I'm Shar Beauchart, your speech language pathologist host where the goal is to connect and link with outstanding professionals related to our field. Now, today is a very special episode. It is a research studies and practical strategies podcast where the goal is to merge the two. The intent is for practical-oriented researchers to bring their findings to light and discuss them and then link the research results with practical evidence-based strategies that we can all use. To help us do that, my distinguished guest is Dr. Brian Jick. He earned his PhD from Yale University in 1999 and currently is professor and head of the Department of Linguistics at the University of British Columbia and is a senior scientist at Yale's Haskins Laboratories in New Haven, Connecticut. Notably, he is a Guggenheim Fellow, awarded in 2017 in the field of linguistics. As a Guggenheim Fellow, Dr. Gick primarily works with top interdisciplinary experts to develop and extend his body-based approach to speech. He's also a Fellow of the Royal Society of Canada and a Fellow of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. His research and his teaching focus is to understand the physical mechanisms of speech production and their interactions, I love this, with perception, phonology, and phonetics in normal, disordered, and children's speech across languages. Among other things, his research has involved developing techniques for applying ultrasound imaging technology to speech research protocols for studying tactile perception of speech, very exciting, methods for observing speech motor behavior and speech planning and biomechanical simulation. Specifically, he shows us how we feel speech information through our skin. Dr. Jick and his team have identified and named previously unnamed functional body parts. 
which is amazing. He's published hundreds of papers within a wide range of distinguished journals. No doubt, wherever he goes, he is the smartest man in the room. Prior to our podcast, Dr. Jack, you encouraged me to call you by your first name. So welcome to the speech link, Brian. Thanks so much, Shar. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. I am thrilled and honored that you're here. Thank oh, you. I'm really thank honored you. to be here. Yeah, ah, yeah. Great. Thank you. Very cool opportunity. Great. Well, I first became aware of and acquainted with you and your research from your March 1917 article, Speaking Tongues Are Actively Braced. And I have to admit, when I read that, and it was nice and short, to the point, I could understand it, I thought, whoa, I love this. I absolutely love this. So I even kind of wrote a little blog on it and, and shared it with other therapists that are on my mailing list, at least. And I've actually just, you know, I've been focusing on lateral margin stabilization, which equates to bracing for many, many years. And I feel as a therapist that it is just one of the critical pieces to generate in our kids that have speech issues. So I've just been so excited to, to talk with you about that and other things. So, you know, as we get going here, you know, I definitely want, would like us to talk about, for you to talk about the lateral bracing piece. So we can either start there, or if there is a broader range of speech postures or oral postures that you would like to address, I'll kind of leave that open to you. Where would be best for us to start? Well, I mean, at least just as a as a general overview. I mean, first of all, again, thanks so much uh, for 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 having me, and it's really exciting to make. I love making these links, and you know, making the the link in particular between clinical practice and and the kind of basic research that that we do in our lab. That's really what what gives it meaning, and it's really gratifying to connect with people who are finding ways to use these sort of you know just really basic observations about how the body works and and take them into into practice. So mm-hmm. really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So I mean, as far as thinking about posture, posture in general, you know, there's there is a whole field and multiple fields that really deal with posture, you know, anything having to do with, you know, motor control and and biomechanics and so on. There's lots and lots of kinesiology, lots of people who are who have been interested in posture for many years. Uh, unfortunately, that's not really the way we have traditionally thought about speech so much. And so there's there's this real disconnect between the way we think about how the body works for most kinds of movements, you know, sort of gross body movements, and the way we think about how the body works for speech. And and really, I think it's really important that we bring these together. And one of the one of the key missing pieces is this idea of posture, I believe. And the reason it's so important is that if you think about any speech movement, you know, we all think about speech movements. And when, you know, if you think about any, any communicative movement, it's all built, every movement is built on a substrate of posture. Just like if you're, you know, if you are standing and, you know, or sitting or whatever and reaching for something, if you tried to understand that, that motion from the point of view of, of just thinking about the, the body just with no activation. We we never think about that, right? I mean, we don't ever start a movement from just lying collapsed on the floor. And by the same token, you know, the the vocal tract. You know, we hold the vocal tract in a posture that's really the the whole idea with postures is that they're anti gravity, right? They help us fight against gravity pulling us down. 
the way you hold your head, the way you hold your soft palate, the way you hold your tongue, your jaw, it all involves active muscle activation, right? So we're using those muscles to, to keep ourselves in a position where we can start talking. And if we don't have that down, we can talk all day about the movements, the particular speech movements. But if we don't have that sort of basic posture down, we, we haven't gotten started yet. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. The one thing that keeps going through my mind, you're talking about posture and, and, you know, we talk about placement and so on for the tongue, but a really big piece of my therapy has been the oral resting position. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to necessarily talk about that, but it really kind of gives that position or the posture so that the tongue is at the ready as far as positioning to move into speech placements and speech movements and speech stabilization Mm -hmm. and mobilization. So that's kind of how I think about it. But continue to to sort of expand on that. This is really interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I sometimes have said that we're kind of linguocentric in uh, in when we when we talk about speech, uh, you know, we love talking about the tongue. I definitely will spend a lot of time focusing on the tongue here. But I do also thinking about the again, like thinking about how you how you hold your head or how you you hold your soft palate. The soft palate's a great example. Like we think about velopharyngeal port control and you know we we kind of take for granted that the the we when you're speaking almost all the time, you're maintaining this velopharyngeal port closure. And we think about it relative to to specific sounds often, but mm-hmm. really that's just a, you know, again, it's the same idea, right? You're, you're maintaining a constant posture throughout speech. And when you make a nasal sound, I mean, there's great EMG evidence from the seventies here in Bangarel that shows that in many cases, when you, when you're producing a nasal sound, an active nasal sound, you're actually not activating anything. You're deactivating that posture you're relaxing those muscles that are keeping the soft palate in place to to keep the velopharyngeal port closed. And that relaxation is what makes a nasal sound work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, like if you think of it from that point of view, it's like, well, if you don't have the posture right, and of course there's a whole many, 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 a whole subfield dedicated to thinking about velopharyngeal port closure and nasalization and nasalance and, and all that stuff. So, don't need to, you know, especially with a speech pathology audience, we, we don't, you know, in, in many ways don't need to convince anybody of that. But at the same time, you know, if you're, if you're not starting from the point of view that, that this posture is there as sort of a, a substrate, then, you know, understanding what happens when we make an active movement away from it, it's very hard to make sense of, right? So taking that over to sort of how you think about the tongue, it's very similar, right? You, we can think about how you place the tongue in the mouth when you're about to speak. Is in, in many ways we learn we've learned a lot from looking at the tongue when we're not speaking. So that is to say, you know, in between utterances, we hold our tongues in this very particular position uh, where the sides of the tongue are are raised often. When you're in a ready position to speak. And then we maintain that posture throughout speech. And we maintain this sort of closure along the sides of the, the teeth and, and palate. And that creates, if you think about that, with the curved palate on top and the sides of the tongue touching on the sides, that creates mm-hmm. a tube. 
And that's what we've been, you know, in, in our work have been calling the aeroacoustic tube, which is what we speak through. That's the, that's the tube. When, we, when you think about that, that tube that you study in your acoustics classes and whatever, that's the tube, right? It's created mm-hmm. by that posture of the tongue maintaining this contact on the sides. And of course, we don't always maintain that contact. We pull it down for something like making a lateral sound like L. But otherwise, pretty much you're just keeping your tongue up there all the time. And that's not the way we've always thought about how speech works. Right. Well, I think we need to think about it that way. <laughs> uh, because, <laughs> I know you think about it that way, yeah, but I, most people I do, don't. Yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we're doing therapy, a lot of times we, you know, we'll just sort of present the sound to the child and the child is sort of at will to try and find that placement. But other times, and especially, you know, when we are focusing on a more oral sensory motor approach, we want that child to definitely have a sense of here's where the sides of the tongue anchor. Mm -hmm. Here's where they go. And I think, you know, in fact, I remember this was years ago, I was doing therapy in in Southern California in a little school district called Romo land. And uh, this little boy came in and he had this, you know, extreme lateral lisp on several different sibilants. And he'd been in speech for many, many years. And no one had ever said, here's where your tongue goes. And we talked about that, that lateral margin contact, the bracing piece, and a couple of other things. And, you know, we did some therapy and so on with him. And I'm going to say he was, he graduated by Thanksgiving. Okay. And he said, nobody ever told me where my tongue was supposed to go Hmm. up within the dental arch sides of the tongue, touching the insides of the top back teeth. And I love the terminology. What did you say? An arrow, what dynamic arrow acoustic tube. So A-E-R-O acoustic acoustic tube. Okay. So So it creates, it's that tube that we push air through. Yeah. To where, uh, you know, where resonance happens, you know, and where if we don't have that tube right, you know, think of all the sounds that you make in speech. Almost all of them require that we're manipulating the shape and and dimensions of, of this tube. And we talk about that in our acoustics classes, and yet somehow it doesn't make the crossover to looking at the physiology that way and looking at the anatomy that way. Yeah. So very, very important. I can throw in, one one other really interesting little tidbit, which is oh, that throw that, it in. That, We're ready to catch that basic posture that forms that tube is almost identical to the posture that we use for the same tube that we use for food when we're chewing and swallowing. So the oral phase, the initial part of the oral phase of swallow, when you're holding on to that, uh, the preparatory phase, when you're holding on to that food bolus and just about to initiate the peristalsis to get the food down down your into your pharynx, that shape is almost exactly the same as making something, well, essentially the same as making a click, you know, that kind of sound. And it's very, very similar. So if you, if you just pull the back of the tongue down and, you know, w- once you've started that peristalsis process, now you're making something very much like a T or a D or an M, right? So you're making a closure all the way around the front and including that bracing on the sides. And so all you have to do is pull the tip down, right? And now you've got that tube, right? So that's that's the tube we're talking about, really. It's the same tube that's evolved mm-hmm. for, for feeding and swallowing. As, sure. 
is what we're co-opting, if you like, now, for speech. I have a question for you. Yeah. Since we're on swallowing, if we could just stay on this for just a couple minutes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There is something that is quite abstract, and it's intraoral suctioning. And it's the mm-hmm. process of, of, or the action of what we do to actually pull the saliva or the food or the incoming liquid on top of the tongue and within that tube so that we can generate that peristalsis action to make it go down. Mm-hmm. So have you studied much of that intraoral sectioning? Because that is so very abstract. And, and I know that you do. I mean, I think, don't you have to have the, the lateral contact and the front part Absolutely. of the tongue lowers and, and it Absolutely. creates a negative pressure? What What's going on in there? Yeah, so for that? it's, I mean, you know, and again, I, this, is, this is not, this is something we've simulated, we've worked on, but, you know, I, I, I cannot say I've been a, uh, I'm not a I'm not a swallowing clinician or or a swallowing expert, but essentially the the uh, as I as far as I understand it, again it's the same basic mechanism. You know when a, a baby makes the, those clicking sounds, those tongue clicking sounds, and the same suction that you use for nursing is that suction. It's not a suction between you know you're closing all the way around the sides, but you're also closing in the back, not all the way down to you know you've got to close somewhere to create that suction, right? And the closure is not right. down at the larynx or whatever, right? The, the closure is no. at the back of the at the back of the tongue, the oropharyngeal isthmus. Again, that's exactly the same suction that makes a click sound work. So mm-hmm. you've heard click languages, you know those kinds yeah. of sounds, right? Um, ah. Right. Those sounds are produced with the same suction, with that same suction, right? And it's that's by closing off the sides in the back and then pulling down the tongue in the middle so mm-hmm. that that creates a, a vacuum. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. And, creating and again, a vacuum. That's, okay. That's that little cup that we can create with our tongue to hold food or to hold air and to manipulate, mm-hmm. to manipulate resonance right, mm-hmm. in speech. And lips have to be closed. Well, or no. you have to have an anterior closure. Well, to create the right. suction, I guess you don't have to have lips closed, but if you are gathering something that's inside of your exactly. mouth and you want to get it on exactly. top of the tongue to make it go down. Okay. So if you think of that in terms of click sounds, you can make the closure, the anterior closure with the tongue tip, right? Or you can make that anterior closure with the lips, right? And that's okay. this, it, again, it's, you've got the same closure in the back and on the sides, and you're just changing where you make the, the closure in the front course when you've okay. got food and you're chewing you need your lips to be closed right so the food's right. not coming out of your mouth yeah. and so yeah. that you can create the suction that's going to pull that food into the center right right i've always noticed that you know that there's a suction over the front or there's mm-hmm. a suction around the sides depending on where the contents are yeah yeah exactly so if you're and yeah, you know one food. one of the one of the funniest things uh, about this is that you know if if you look at if you read a book about swallowing, say, and you read or a paper about swallowing, and you read a book or a paper about phonetics, the tongue, you know, how the tongue works for speech, you would think you were talking about two different parts of the body or two whole different bodies. I mean, they're they don't look anything alike, right? And that is to say, these structure, these very three-dimensional structures that we talk about with swallowing, and where where we know we need to talk about the sides of the tongue, and we need to talk about suction, and we need to you know, talk about where the where the closures are happening so that we can really understand where how this food bolus is getting manipulated. That's just not the way that we have talked about speech production typically. So 
And, mm. and once you go there, right, once you let it kind of get a little bit more complicated, the way we think about our, our speech models, then it's a very, very small step. It's no step at all to start thinking about posture and thinking tongue posture and thinking about how we hold the, the tongue during speech on, you know, against the sides of the Right, right. You know, I read a book years ago, and I can't remember, it's back there. (laughs) But it was on whole body movement. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they emphasized was stabilization and mobilization. Mm -hmm. Whether you're, you know, shishy and skiing down a hill, you've got to have your, you know, your core stabilization, and you've got to have other areas of stabilization, internal, and you've got your, you know, your poles for your external stabilization. If you're dancing, you've got the same thing. And, and it's just all about stabilization and mobilization, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I love that, that terminology. It's not a terminology I'd, I'd, uh, I had heard before that we use in, in the lab, but I might start using it. There you go. There you go. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look yeah, that right. up. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, that, yeah, that's so very interesting. Now, you said there, like, you know, there's a question here of where do speech postures come from? And mm-hmm. you mentioned that as one of the things that maybe you'd like to talk about. Is that something that you think would be helpful for us? Well, I, I think what I what I meant by that was what I maybe I anticipated that with thinking about swallowing. And when I talk about where it comes from, I'm really thinking both in terms of ontogeny and phylogeny, that these are feeding and swallowing is, you know, speech is brand new, right? On the on the evolutionary time scale of where we are as humans. And when you look at the structures that that we have to work with to communicate with. If we're going to use the human body as a communicative device and we're going to make sounds with this, these structures that, that are here for you know, feeding and swallowing and breathing and, and also you know, these, these other functions, it really helps to think about how we're making use of the, the structures that are there. And I don't just mean the anatomical structures, but the functional structures. So you know, this idea of being able to create a tube that we can manipulate, to form a tube that we can manip- manipulate and be able to manipulate sound resonance with that same tube, to manipulate airflow with that tube. And again, that mm-hmm. uh, that's something that I guess when I say, you know, to think about kind of, uh, it's interesting to think about where these things come from. That is to say, speech is such a new newcomer on the scene in the grand scheme of sort of where we are as, as humans. And, you know, most of these structures that we have are present in every other mammal. And, you know, as far as like feeding and swallowing structures and things like that, breathing and and so on, you know, using the oral tract for these functions. And then you look at babies, we've, you know, a lot of people have talked about, you know, in linguistics have talked about the blank slate and all of that. And we're anything but blank slates. You know, we come into the world, first of all, already knowing how to vocalize. You know, the very first time you take air into your lungs as a human, you know, the first time it's not amniotic fluid, but air, it comes out with vocalization, right? So we don't have to learn how to do that. We don't have to learn how to, if you can survive as a human feeding and swallowing and suckling, you can use that same, again, those same structures to turn them around and and be making speech sounds. So there's been some really interesting work out of Montreal, and I don't want to 
forget the name, really interesting work looking at the crossovers between like, you know, therapeutically, if you, when you work on, on improving swallowing, you see improvements in speech. And when you work on speech, you see improvements in swallowing. And it's, again, it's because of this, it's because it's, you know, shared physical mechanisms, shared, shared neural substrates and so on. So. so are you talking about in the very young years, like toddlers? Yeah. So, I mean, or even you, before the first year. Well, I mean, even in the womb, oh, in we're, in the produce, womb. we're producing speech-like configurations. We're doing, you know, swallowing, we're doing clicking, we're doing, you know, lip rounding and spreading and lip closure, all of these movements that we produce that, you know, that we can, as far as we can see what's going on in the womb, functionally, we're, we're making all kinds of speech, speech-like movements with those taking amniotic fluid in and out you know, we're practicing that, that bracing of the tongue, that, that manipulating fluid and air is just another fluid, right? I mean, if you ask a, if you ask a chemical engineer or a mechanical engineer, you know, it's all fluid flow, you know, whether we're talking about amniotic fluid or air, uh, the mechanisms Mm. are much the same. Hmm. So we're practicing in the womb, all, all these movements, which is why we come out of the womb already knowing how to, how to use our vocal tracts or things Ah. like vocalizing. Okay. Okay. All right. Would you like to talk with us about the speech development piece a little bit? I think it gets into a territory where I think what we can say is that if you get the postures down right, if you're not having issues with the basic mechanisms and feeding, swallowing, suckling, those things, breathing, vocalizing, you know, all the usual stuff for babies, um, that you have a good start into speech that doesn't guarantee that you're going to get everything right because what we have to do after that is as you're learning to speak you need to take those structures that are already very very complex movements i mean a swallow is 25 different sets of muscles working to, you know it's it's incredibly you know in, in a very specific as as you all know and, and many of the listeners will know very specific firing order and pattern if you're not getting that right, you know, you're out of luck, right? So you really need to have that right. Now, to use those mechanisms for speech to be able to make a velum for port closure, which is, again, part of swallowing, you know, for example, you might be able to do it for swallowing, but you may not be able to differentiate. I mean, the word that, that the researchers tend to use around this is differentiation, to take a, a component of a complex set of movements, a complex maneuver, and sort of differentiate it up, pull it out, and to separate that out as a sort of separate controllable movement that you can intentionally control. And that's, you know, if you can manage that, you know, so if you've got all the swallowing and feeding and all that stuff in place, that's a good start, but it's not, you're not there yet, right? So you have to be able to manipulate those intentionally and and separately to to get Mm -hmm. some of these, Mm -hmm. uh, to get- So would you say that, you know, you have a child that is babbling, which is basically jaw-driven, and in, you have a few of the corner vowels that are being produced, not necessarily, you know, four vowels, but those are sounds that are just basically emerging because that's what happens when you move your jaw in that way. Yeah, yeah. And you keep mouthing and, and adding that sensory piece and, and discerning the, the different movements and, and the compressions and the, the contractions and, and so on. And all the, you know, the left and, you know, the left and the right and the up and the down that the tongue can do and the compressed the, the lips and so on. And would you say that those types of of things really help to to move that differentiation piece forward 
And then as you get into speech, as you get toward that first year, and, and then afterwards, the jaw takes kind of a, a back seat and the For tongue sure. learns to sort of differentiate and move in, in that controlled way and come full circle here to generate the, the lateral margin stabilization and the bracing and so on. So, so that when would you say that children have that bracing piece and that, you know, when does that come in, do you think? developmentally? I can't say for sure because, you know, that's, I think that's an empirical question that really hasn't been fully explored. So okay, well, um, there you go. What, so yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're working on it. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Oh, good. Let us I, know. But what I can say, you know, again, is that, you know, bracing, if you can swallow, if you can suckle, you can brace. The difficulty is when you, and we've all seen this, right, in, in clinical settings where you know, you can know how to do something, but then transferring that over to other contexts can be really challenging. That's right. That's called yes. doing therapy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. My uh, my definition of therapy is trying to get somebody to do something that they can't do. <laughs> so, and that's, yeah, yeah, there you go. So, okay, let's move on. And I know the other day you and I had talked a little bit about the muscular hydrostat issues and so on and how the mid tongue contracts is that something that you would like to talk with us about because that mid tongue contraction really alters that tube mm -hmm. and that helps to elevate the front part of the tongue yeah i'm trying to remember let's see where were we with the hydro i know we did talk about the hydro i mean the the tongue I, one of the things that we we do think about the tongue and the, the tongue is very often talked about as a muscular hydrostat. One of the things that's a little bit different from other kinds of muscular hydrostats like trunks and tentacles and things like that is that the tongue is the, with a, a true muscular hydrostat, your stabilization comes from intrinsic muscle tension. Okay. So you have a hydrostatic skeleton Mm -hmm. effectively right and that's how a, a, a trunk works or a tentacle right so you get out mm -hmm. towards you know halfway down the tentacle there's no palate right there's no bone that you're no. that you're bracing no hard tissue against, yeah right? you're just bracing like you know you're bracing muscle against muscle mm -hmm. right and with the tongue the tongue the musculature of the tongue is different it's one thing that's really really interesting is if you look at the tongue of something like an anteater where the tongue spends a lot of time outside of the mouth, does most of its functioning outside of the mouth. The musculature is set up like a trunk or a tentacle. It's, it's much more radial. And as soon as you look at, you know, if you look at related mammals and so on, that where the tongue is not quite so long and the tongue is actually spending most of its time in the mouth and right down to humans, say down to humans, or up. <laughs> my, my, I'm being evolutionarily incorrect. Or something. There you but, go. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> but, you know, you look at tongues that spend most of their time in the mouth and the musculature is set up really differently. The musculature is much more lateral, has much more of a sort of lateral component. And the, the muscles are laid out so that the tongue, the tongue is built to interface with these hard structures, right? So in a sense, the tongue is really part of a tongue palate combination, right? A tongue, a tongue palate sort of co-evolved structure, a single structure. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. 
that way of thinking about the tongue is again it's it's really it requires sort of a departure from thinking about the tongue as this free-floating tentacle in our mouths which it is not right you look at a an, another sort of concern you know a, a sort of maybe a problematic kind of way that we describe the vocal tract is with this mid-sagittal slice you know you see the slice with the, the head turned to the side and you can see the outline of the tongue from the side and all that and it looks like the tongue is just kind of this free-floating animal in in our mouths but it's not free-floating at all right it's always braced or at least as as you uh as you say sort of has a a resting posture, a stabilized posture. There are you know, different ways to talk about that. But the tongue is symmetrical along, you know, it's symmetrical to the midline. But what's happening on the sides, even though it's often symmetrical to, to one another, it's not like what's going on in the midline. There you go. So, you know, what's happening on the sides, you know, you can see, you know, it's, it's really fun to use an ultrasound. If you, if you have access to an ultrasound machine, you can hold an ultrasound transducer wow. under your chin hold it sideways so you're getting a coronal slice and watch what the sides of the tongue do. You can talk along, say whatever you like. The middle of the tongue is going up and down like crazy, like we're used to seeing, right? But the sides of the tongue are just kind of sitting there. Unless you're making a bunch of L's, the sides of the tongue are just sitting there. They're just stable. And that's really what we're talking about with this with this tongue posture, this lateral posture that, that you've been talking about, Sean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what about vowels? Don't we have a few vowels that release or there no? There are a, a couple of vowels. So if you're, if you're producing a low vowel, a really open vowel, like ah, uh-huh. yeah. then it is, uh, so that's the, about, I think we've, it depends on the vowel, but for say ah, ah does it the most up to like maybe depending on the person, 40% of the time, you might pull the tongue away from the sides when you're making an ah. And it's just for those low open vowels. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, because it's for those vowels, it's totally okay to let air, to, to use those side, those buccal cavities, right? Um, like you do for L. You know, the reason that L sounds different and on and so on sound different is that you're letting air, sort of letting resonance go, you know, letting some, some, uh, some of the, the resonance happen in those side cavities. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're doing that because you're you're lowering the whole tongue on the jaw, and that creates this really open sound. Mm-hmm. And that I mean, that's how we can tell it's an open sound. It sounds like a bigger cavity because you've got a you know as soon as you let as soon as you open up that aeroacoustic tube, now you've got a much bigger tube all of a sudden, boom, instantly, right? And so that that makes it instantly makes a really different kind of sound. And so we we use that to to make that contrast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for all the other sounds, yeah, we uh, and for all the other vowels, uh, we're keeping those uh, keeping the size mm-hmm. of the tongue in that in that posture, that resting. Mm-hmm. Posture. I kind of learned about this bracing piece, stabilization piece, anchorage piece via palatography. That's where I started, you know, back with Samuel Fletcher and so on, nice. and others that have continued his work. And I just, you know, and you can just see, or you get a sense of of that contact of the sides of the tongue where it's touching. Now, mm-hmm. would you say that there is a variation among people as far as, and I'm sure that that the variability perhaps comes from the width of the dental arch, the height of the palatal vault, 
the amount of or the level of of range of motion and release of the tongue. So would you say that that there is a variance between the amount of lingual surface to surface contact and maybe it's just touching the sides of the teeth or maybe even just the cusps? I don't know if you can get away Mm -hmm. with that. As far as maybe elevating a little bit more and touching the perimeter of the palate, would you say that there's variance there depending on the rest of the structures? Yeah. So one of the things that happens is that when you, particularly with if you're using palatography, if you're using electropalatography, the palatal inserts that you use for those, those arrays of uh, electrodes are, if you look at those, usually it's just a palate, it's like a retainer, right? You put it in. And it's just the the part of the palate that's inside of the teeth, right? And that that's where the sort of the the surface of it starts. And then inside of that, by half a centimeter or whatever, or sometimes a few millimeters, inside of that is where the the electrodes begin. So that is to say, like if you're bracing or you know doing this uh, this this lateral contact stabilization against the teeth primarily or against just inside the teeth just at the very edge of the palate you're not even going to see that on on an epg palate yeah so i think so what's happened is that over the years in the research you've had researchers noticing that hey this sound you know this n sound or this k sound is braced it's really interesting The, the tongue is really sort of like you know closing along these along the sides and then they've you know they've said well you know it's really sporadic for other sounds. And mm-hmm. when you actually, so exactly. So, so one of the things that we did in our, uh, in, in that the 2017 paper that you were talking about was we looked at some old archival EPG data from the, the K-Elemetrics. Uh, I don't know if you, know, you remember K-Elemetrics back, sure. in, back in the day. <laughs> K, which was purchased by Pentax, K used to make a palette, a soft palette or a hard palette insert that where the the plastic, the retainer went right over the teeth and the electrodes went right along the edge of the inner edge of the teeth, right along ah. the nose. And hmm. so when you look at that data, it's completely different. Is it really? Totally different. You can see, wow. so you can see the the tongue staying in contact with those electrodes the whole time you're talking. Wow. Yeah. So How really thick cool. were those electrodes? I mean, they were just very, very thin. Very thin electrodes. Yeah. They could exactly. hardly feel them. Yep. So it's just like a, a really, really, really thin layer of plastic molded to your teeth that just kind okay. of goes okay. right over your teeth. Okay. And in embedded in those are these tiny little, tiny little exposed metal bits. And those would pick up the contact with your tongue. Okay. So a lot of times we are just stabilizing against the insides of the top back teeth to one degree or yeah. another. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, you know, it, it, it depends on your dentition. It depends on the size of the, the oral cavity. It depends on things that we still don't understand exactly. It also is different from one side to the other. We talked a little bit about tongueedness. Yes, that, uh, you know, we've we've got a group, and here, you know, also all through this work, I I really have to recognize the work of some of the the folks in my lab. Uh, Yadong Liu has been working on posture experiments, these tongue posture experiments, bracing and so on. And Arian Shami has been looking at again these tongue postures with astronauts and and so on, returning from space because again gravity's changing, right? So this is a great place to look at what happens when the functional requirements change and how does the tongue respond? So, 
but one of the things that we're that we're finding, you know, is that the two sides of the tongue behave differently. So everybody seems <laughs> to be tongued, tongued, you know, left tongued or yeah. right tongued. So so tonguedness really is a thing, and we don't know exactly what it correlates to, but we're we're pretty sure that it's not correlating with handedness. Interesting. So, so far, with the number of participants we've looked at, there isn't a correlation between tonguedness and handedness. Hmm. So. Hmm. That is interesting. So, and I know you mentioned the other day, you said, I am not a therapist. That's what you said. And then I said, (laughs) I am not a researcher. But (laughs) what you have done as far as identifying very tangible speech production components really offers therapists a goal. And something that we can really focus on with our kids. Through the years, I've used different, you know, tools and so on. Maybe different textures or applying flavors or, or you know, whatever. And just trying to get in there and to palpate and to stroke the sides of the tongue, stroke the perimeter of the palate and the sides of the teeth. And just, you know, and encourage them to match and to feel it. And then also encouraging them to maintain their lips closed, tongue up, jaw gently relaxed, their postures, you know, their whole oral resting posture, which provides that, that immediate, hey, my tongue is in that position and all I have to do is just spread a little bit, contract the mid and move the front. Mm-hmm. And so, but they're in that position of elevating that tongue up within the dental arch. Mm-hmm. So your information is just invaluable in, in really, and you know, whether people do this kind of thing or not, even if they just say, honey, you need to get your tongue up in here, mm-hmm. <laughs> take a look at my tongue or here I have a, you know, a mouth model. Here's where your tongue goes, close mm-hmm. your eyes, put your tongue up in there and feel it and move your tongue and feel the size of your teeth. You know, anything that we can do mm-hmm. to really enable that child to have a sense of that position mm-hmm. and then to do it about 800 more times. Yeah, do it a thousand times. and <laughs> yeah, that's right, Do it yeah. a thousand times yeah. or more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it's not just a cognitive thing. It is a motoric thing. And it's not like we can say, honey, would you mind not talking for the next three months? <laughs> you know, and just sort of get rid of all of those, those things that those, you're doing. And we'll put all yeah. the, yeah. And we'll yeah. put this on top of it. Yeah, that doesn't work. So it's it is yeah. a process. Do you have any any other things that you've heard or or perhaps that you've thought of that would be beneficial for us to think about to focus on our kids with it and adults as far as you know the research and the findings that you have come up with. Anything else that that you would like to emphasize with us? Well, yeah. Uh, so following on uh, on some of that, the one of the tools that we've worked with a lot, I mentioned ultrasound, and I did a lot of work in the 2000s with Barbara May Bernhardt, who is a clinician and was in the, the School of Audiology and Speech Sciences at UBC when I got to UBC. And uh, we spent a lot of time doing both EPG and, and uh, ultrasound. But one of the things that she and and uh, many of her students have really developed is, you know, approaches to using ultrasound uh, to working with to really it's one of the best tools for visualizing what the tongue is doing, 
And not everybody has access to an ultrasound machine, but surprisingly, many of us do. And as well, like it's completely changed. When I first started, you know, an ultrasound machine was like a, a big golf cart that you'd roll around and it costs $150,000. You know, now ultrasound machines, you know, you can get a portable, a little tiny portable ultra, ultrasound machine. You can even get a, a transducer that plugs into your computer and you can use that to uh, to visualize the tongue that that can you know those can run a couple thousand bucks so it's gotten much more affordable and and as well like if you have access to a, a hospital or a clinic that has an ultrasound machine you know play around with it rest it against the you know under your chin and start seeing what what it looks like if you haven't done it you know if you haven't used ultrasound for speech you know see what your tongue looks like as it moves around and you can really see what the sides of the tongue, you know, if you hold it sideways, you can really see what the sides of the tongue are doing. And it's, it's, we have definitely found with kids who have difficulty with the other kinds of feedback, they've, they've been in speech therapy for, you know, years and years, they've seen it all. And you give them a new kind of feedback through a different modality, give them a visual, uh, you know, visual feedback of their tongue. And many kids, not all, but many kids respond really well to that and you know are really able to look at that and say oh okay this is what you're talking about the sides of my tongue are here i need to hold them you know it's something to think about as you say it's also something you can you can use a popsicle stick and stick it in there and feel when when you're making that contact you know there are lots of things that you can do to uh, mm-hmm. to start making use of that the other mm-hmm. thing that jumped to mind as you were talking was that this is something that's different from language to language a little bit every language does it but the way you hold that that posture that you hold your articulators in, even when you're not speaking, is different from language to language. That's why you know you can tell if somebody's a French speaker or an English speaker, you know, sometimes just by the way they hold the the way they hold their mouths or something, right? And that's also yeah. true inside. It's true of the tongue and and so on. So this this is something to think about if you're in in areas of therapy where you're where you're working with people who are uh, learning different languages and so on in second language acquisition it can be really useful to talk about learning the posture independent of learning the speech targets. Right, right. That That is what I call the oral resting posture. It's what you do with the lips, tongue, and jaw when you're not using them. At least that's my, you know, that's my terminology. Are you familiar with where more Latino kids rest their tongue? Is it more forward or does it vary as far as where they're from? Again, it depends on the language. Uh, we've looked at French and Japanese and English, of course. But you know, one thing I can say for sure, if you're thinking of something like the r, the trill, you know, the way you produce a trill is by stabilizing on the sides and mm-hmm. making that closure in the middle, but making it really loose and keeping that keeping the tongue in the middle loose, so that when you push air through, it starts to vibrate. And that's, mm-hmm. you think about the differentiation of the tongue that you need to, the control of different parts of the tongue that you need to master for that to work. It's no wonder that it's, that it, it's, it's a late acquired sound and sometimes yeah. a difficult yeah. And Most a pointer ers. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Most are. A pointer there, something to think about is if you are uh, working with kids who are trying to acquire the r or adults, this is also true, you know, in theater and, and so on. The, if you try just hanging your head between your knees, tilting your head upside down, and then letting your tongue loosely rest against the palate, and then blowing air through that and practicing the trill that way, you'll find that most people find that quite easy because you're not having to master that posture and master master getting the right sort of tension in the tongue. Hmm. And you can just let the tongue rest, and then you can practice 
tilting your head up to different degrees to get better and better at sort of maintaining okay. the posture while you okay. uh, keep them. Well, there the you go. That's a therapy technique. <laughs> it's a, there it's you a tip. go. <laughs> yeah, that's a tip. There you go. Well, we do have a couple of comments and I think a question here from Lauren. She says, so interesting. I see a lot of similarities between what you've, what you're discussing and basic concepts that prompt uses as for the bracing and the stabilization piece. Are you familiar with prompt at all? I'm not. It's so okay this, if you're not. This is good. Yeah, I'd love to but hear it's, about it. But it's been around a while and it's a good program. Yeah, yeah, great. And then this is Jonelle. Do you recommend oral motor exercises to strengthen, I guess, the posture and placement abilities or to help with awareness of oral posture? Again, I'm I'm not speaking as a therapist here, but I, I can certainly say that I know that that many therapists do do that. And one thing that I would say that we've seen is that you were talking earlier about the feedback that we get. We did a study some years back where we were looking at the sensory acuity of the tongues of different speakers and finding that people with high degrees of sensory acuity in their tongues actually were producing cleaner speech sounds like, you know, S, for example, or you know, they had a, a, a much tighter, uh, narrower <laughs> spectrum of noise that they were able to control with the S, for example. There's definitely, it's, it's not just about, so when you, that is to say, when you're doing those kinds of motor exercises, oftentimes I, I think we think of that as, you know, somehow like weightlifting, like training the muscles, the muscle strength. And I think sometimes it's also just training the sensory feedback that we're getting from being in that position. And of course, the muscles have to learn that as well. But it's, there's, there's a, a give and take right between uh, and, you know, this, this constant feedback loop that we're getting. And when you, when you have points of contact, we get sensory feedback from those that, that you know, we have to learn what to do with that information. You know, that information's coming in. As fluent speakers of, of human languages, most of us aren't even aware of the sensation of our tongue touching and rubbing against the sides of the palate. But when you start paying attention to it, it actually, it's like, oh yeah, that's happening all the time. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. and so I, I think again, like, you know, sometimes that practice is as much about, it's about learning to make the link between the what our sensory systems are telling us and what our motor systems are mm. being asked to do. Yeah, you know, it is so refreshing to hear you, to hear a researcher talk about sensation as far as intraoral intraoral sensation. Mm. Because every time I see an article, not every time, but most of the times when I see an article come up and they mention the word sensation, they're talking about auditory sensation. Mm. And I think we've kind of dropped the ball <laughs> you know, in regards to intraoral sensation. So I, you know, mm. boy, keep doing that. Keep, I just, <laughs> I, I think it's so extremely important. Um, also, Janelle, just to sort of add something here to what you were talking about from my perspective and working with my kids through the years, and especially, you know, emphasizing the external stabilization and the internal stabilization, you know, the muscular hydrostat maneuver there. What I have found is that the kids that have difficulty generating the gradations, because if you contract a little bit, you know, your tongue goes up a little bit. If you contract more, I found that it goes up more. 
And if they have difficulty with those gradations is what I have found is that those are kids that have those really flaccid tongues. Now, this is something that, Brian, you need to get in there and figure that one out. (laughs) (laughs) But I have seen kids that have that. They just, it just doesn't bend. They just don't generate that mid-tongue contraction. And so the kids that I have worked on that I have done strength tasks to generate tone to hopefully generate some endurance, because speech is an endurance task, but I have worked on, on generating the using strength tasks so that I can get to mid-tongue contraction. Because we don't need strength, really. We don't need, you know, weightlifter and we don't do excessive strong maneuvers when we're speaking. That's my rationale, mm-hmm. you know, looking at the tongue. And, and if we're getting, we can get some good mid-tongue contraction, then we're probably okay. But we have Beth, Beth Ann, who said, yes, it's an integral part of my therapy program for my Arctic clients. So yes, yeah. it all, it all <laughs> works together there. Yeah, definitely. Do you have some closing comments? Anything that you didn't say that you wanted to be sure and say? I don't want to negate that. Is there anything else that you would like us to to hear? No, I think uh, really just again, thanks so much for having me, and uh, and I again really really appreciate the opportunity to connect with a, a community of of clinicians and and really you know make those connections. I think that's where you know the the connections between basic research and practice are so important and so mm-hmm. often it takes too long for the the discoveries that are you know and i mean speech is an area where we are we're still right at the beginning of really understanding uh, these mechanisms and mm-hmm. you know so we're making new discoveries every day and it's wow. really exciting and yeah you know so it's really important that we keep that those lines of communication open so i really appreciate this forum and, and the, the context for being able to do that oh well thank you so much i i just appreciate you and your focus on these really highly practical areas i mean these are things that every single speech pathologist that works with speech disordered kids needs this is it So, you know, I'm just so grateful for what you're doing and just grateful that you are willing to come on here and and share your knowledge um, and be with all of us therapists. (laughs) Just really appreciate that. Yes. Well, now I know that you have your information. Was it your, what is it? Your ultrasound information on on a specific website. And is there any other things that we need to know, websites that we need to go to, an email address that we need that you would like to share or not? It's up to you. Any any other resources like um, that? Well, I'm easy to find. There's only one Brian Jick in the field. So <laughs> Jick is an unusual enough name that it's it's easy to find. But yeah, my my lab website, hopefully we're, we're just about to post some new uh, research pages. So hopefully that'll that'll get posted in the next few days here. And that should help. But again... Our work is really focused on just the basics of how the body is used as a speech, as a communication device. So that covers, a you know, potentially a lot of ground. There are a lot of pieces to that, but if there are pieces that are, uh, that people are finding interesting and, and are seeing applications for, we're really excited to, to hear about them. So. so do we just Google Brian Jick research or is there something specific? Our website, well, so the my lab is called the Interdisciplinary Speech Research Lab. Actually, it's in the in the midst of being of shifting to the Integrated Speech Research Lab, but okay. it's still ISRL. If you 
Google UBC ISRL or UBC BC. Brian Jick, you'll find me and uh, ISRL, the Interdisciplinary Speech Research Lab. So, yeah. Okay. Okay, great. And it, is there is there an email that you would like to share? Jick at mail.ubc.ca is my email address. So. Do it again. Jick, G-I-C-K at mail, M-A-I-L dot U-B-C dot C-A. Okay, dot C-A for Canada. Got it, got it. (laughs) Great, thank you. Well, you're getting lots of kudos here. Andrea says, wonderful episode. Thank you for all the information. Well, thank you so very, very much for sharing uh, all your wonderful insight and your knowledge and being willing to, to come on here with all of us. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. You are amazing, so. amazingly knowledgeable and, and just focused on doing really practical, interesting things. And we all appreciate it. I love it that you're part of that, that you're sort of inching into the clinical world. I think it's great. Also, I would like to thank all of you for being here and for tuning in and for continuing to get the word out about the SpeechLink podcast, where you not only learn practical information, you earn CEUs. And in a few days, the audio version of this podcast will be available on all of the free podcast apps like Apple Podcast and TuneIn and Podbean and so on. And do know, I greatly appreciate your positive comments and your your reviews and your positive support. Also, as you may know, the speech link meets every other Thursday at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And the next time that we meet is October 7, same time. And Shari Gross, M-A-C-C-C-S-L-P, will share her very much needed topic, Selective Mutism, real-world info and answers for SLPs. And also, as you know, when we wrap up, just log into your speechtherapypd.com account, take the quiz, do the evaluation, and print out your certificate. Do know you are greatly appreciated. And thank you so much for all that you do for your therapy kids. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. I'm thrilled you tuned into the speech link. I hope it was helpful. Just leave a quick review and subscribe to be part of a select group that receives every episode. For CEUs, go to speechtherapypd.com. And for everything else, visit sharposhart.com. There's free materials, articles, books, and my blog, Therapy Matters. Thank you for all you do. See you next time. Thank you.